Good morning. Today's scripture reading will be from Matthew 25, verses 31 to 46. And this is what our Lord says. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food, I was thirsty and you gave me drink, I was a stranger and you welcomed me, I was naked and you clothed me, I was sick and you visited me, I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer to him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the Lord and the king will answer them to them. Truly I say to you, as you did to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty, or a stranger, naked or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. The Word of God for the people of God. Well, good morning. My name is Marco. I serve as the preaching and teaching pastor here at Storehouse McAllen. It's a joy to be with you. In the event that you didn't catch the entire text that Alan just read, we're going to find ourselves in Matthew uh, chapter 25. We're going to be looking at verses 31 to 46. And so as you open or load your Bible, I've got a couple of quick things for you. You may have noticed some interesting paintings as you walked into the incubator. That is simply... Uh, what it's like to have roommates. At the end of the day, this is merely a building. The church is a people. Um, apart from that, um, if you are new, uh, we'd love to connect with you. We'd love to hang out with you over coffee or lunch. And so I want to invite you to fill out one of the connect cards that's on the chairs. Fill one out and we'll get back to you very, very quickly. In addition to that, if you do not have a Bible, let that be our gift to you. We love God's Word. We love to preach out of God's Word. Therefore, we love to gift God's Word. So if you don't have one, let us hook you up. Other than that, those are my quick updates, as I'm sure you've pulled up Matthew 25. Well, if you're new or you've uh, missed out on the these last couple of Sundays, uh, we've looked at the parables and we've dealt with, or the parables of Jesus, and we've dealt with at least two things among others. First, it's been the matter, especially in these last couple of weeks, it's been a matter of the gift of salvation. If we rewind about three weeks when we looked at the workers in the vineyard, the prodigal son, and last week the Pharisee and the tax collector, each one had to deal with the gift of salvation. 
Secondly, in each of these parables, uh, we have dealt with the issue of fairness within self-righteous hearts. That is, in each parable, there's a character, usually, not always, but usually represented by the Pharisees. And there seems to be a little bit of a twist in the story. For example, in uh, the parable of the vineyard, or the workers in the vineyard, each worker, despite how long they worked, received equal pay, and that upset some of the workers who had been there all day. When it came to the prodigal son, we saw that the older brother became jealous and self-righteous as the prodigal received grace, forgiveness, and acceptance. And then last week when we looked at the Pharisee and the tax collector, we saw that the Pharisee's self-righteousness, was, uh, his, his, his identity was rooted in self-righteousness and comparison as he constantly viewed himself against the tax collector. And the twist was that it was the tax collector who left the temple justified. In case you haven't noticed, all of these parables that we've walked through have poked, prodded, and provoked the condition of our heart, our self-righteousness, our arrogance, our pride, the way we look and treat others, how we view Jesus, and how we even view, and dare I say, accept our own idols. Today's text is no different while we're still going to consider self-righteousness, this parable is not so much about salvation as much as it is about judgment. In fact, this is considered uh, one of, if not the most controversial of Jesus' parables because it almost doesn't sound like a parable. There are limited illustrations and the story is to the point, but brief, rather than built up like the rest of the parables. And so let me ask you, how often do you think about judgment? See, judgment sounds cool in a movie like Terminator 2, Judgment Day. Judgment is even satisfying when justice is served in a courtroom. But what about on the day of our judgment? Perhaps you've heard this question. It's, I'm sure it's been phrased a variety of different ways, but it might be, sound similar to this. If you were to die right now, where would you go? Are you going to turn or burn? You might hear something like that. Maybe you've heard it from someone evangelizing in the park, uh, passing out pamphlets, or maybe you've seen it on a billboard as you travel to the island or you leave, uh, the ta- you leave town to go into town, which is to say you go to San Antonio, and you find yourself on I-35 and you might see it on a billboard there. Most of the times, our experience with a question like this is unfavorable, it is unpleasant, but quite honestly, it's also inconvenient. In reality, when we consider the inconvenience of this question, it's inconvenient because as Westerners, that's something we don't like to think about. We want to think about the plans, we want to think about the future, we want to think about, man, what I got going for me. But when it comes to thinking about Judgment, it's not something we want to talk about, think about. Well, today, let me burst your bubble and let us consider, let us consider this question through a parable 
and not a pamphlet. In this parable, Jesus is going to teach us something rather surprising about judgment. And that is, and here's your main idea, that is that the people of God do not simply receive the gospel. The people of God are transformed by the gospel. We could say it this way, the people of God not only receive grace, God's grace, the people of God are transformed by God's grace. And you may wonder, what does that have to do with judgment? And the answer is everything. So let me pray, and then we will dig into this text. <clears throat> Father, we begin by praising you for a new day filled with your mercy and a new day that has been filled with your grace. Today is a challenging text. Therefore, God, would you give me the strength to be wise and gentle, but uncompromising? Holy Spirit, would you give my brothers and sisters ears to listen and hearts ready to receive the grace of your word in Christ? Ultimately, Father, I pray that Jesus would be the hero of this sermon, just as he is the hero of our story. May we know Jesus better and more deeply after today. And for those who do not know him, would they, through your grace and mercy, come and know him. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I struggled to organize this sermon, not only because it's a weighty passage, but because I wanted us to see something that's often overlooked in this text. But before we get there, we need to understand the context of this parable. That's going to help us set up our time and ultimately our observations. We'll break this passage down into five observations in a moment. Some of those observations are going to be in the form of a question. Some of them are not. But before looking at that, let's consider the context. In other words, what's happening? Right? How did we get to this parable? Right? The parable of the, the sheep and the goats is the last recorded teaching of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. As he is teaching his disciples, this is coming at a time where Jesus is about to begin to prepare for his betrayal, his trial, and ultimately his crucifixion. Additionally, this parable is the end of what you may consider a progression of teaching that started back in Matthew 24. I would encourage you to go back and read it. Beginning in Matthew 24, Jesus began to teach on his second coming, on his return. And in Matthew 24, he begins to teach his disciples about how they should wait for him. And he gives them a couple of other parables. He tells them to be vigilant, to keep an eye out. This is the section of Matthew's gospel where he says, No one knows the hour of my return, not even the Son, only the Father. So he tells them to be vigilant. He tells them to be prepared, and he does this through the teaching of the parable of the virgins. He tells his disciples to be diligent and productive as they wait for him. This is through the parable of the talents. And all of these parables build up to the parable of the sheep and the goats, concluding with judgment. 
So as I mentioned, so that's kind of what's going on. It starts in Matthew 24, and it builds up to 25. And as we close 25, we go into Jesus's, uh, the, the, the end of his ministry and ultimately his crucifixion. And so as I mentioned, we're going to break it down into five observations. Okay? The first one is a question, and that is, who is Jesus talking about? This still pertains to the context. Again, this is going to set up the rest of the parable. But the first question is, who is Jesus talking about? The reason it's an important question is because part of the concern comes from the phrase found in verse 40. So let's look at that briefly. And the king, and the king in this parable represents Jesus, and the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. That verse, and in particular, uh, the least of these and my brothers, that's what's the concern. Who are the brothers that Jesus is talking about? There are several interpretations for this little verse. We're only going to consider three as a result of time. And I'll go through these very quickly. The first interpretation is actually one of great popularity, right? uh, given the nature of what Jesus says about the sheep and the goats. And that is that people would argue that who he's talking about is specifically the poor, the hungry, those who are oppressed. In fact, this passage taken in this interpretation is a catalyst for many churches and mercy ministries throughout the world. When you consider Jesus talking to the sheep and then talking to the goats, and then they consider uh, verse 40, they would say, see, he is talking specifically about the oppressed the marginalized, the poor, those who are hungry. However, the context from Matthew 24 leading into 25 doesn't lend itself to the poor, the hungry, or the oppressed. And let me be clear before I move on to the second point. Let me be clear. That is not to say that the Bible does not teach that we should not care for, the, uh, for, the, uh, care for or feed or minister to the poor, the oppressed, or the hungry. We absolutely should. It is part of us doing good and merciful deeds. It's just that's not who Jesus is talking to in this passage. If you've been with us for any time, uh, I've told you this before. When it comes to realtors, what are they big on? Location, 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 right? As theologians, what should we be concerned with? Context, context, context. Okay? The second interpretation is that the phrase, my brothers, is Jesus specifically talking about the Jewish people. And that the day of judgment is that, that is taking place is toward literal nations, actual nations. So if we go back and consider verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit in his glorious throne. Before him, verse 32, he will be gathered, he will, yeah, he will be gathered all the nations. And so their argument would be that he is gathering literal nations and their judgment is coming upon them by the way they have treated the Jewish people. The context, once more, doesn't lend itself solely to the Jewish people precisely because of what Jesus is about to accomplish on the cross. 
See, on the cross, as the Apostle Paul says it to the the church in Ephesus, he goes on to say that through the death and resurrection of Jesus, the wall of separation has been torn down between Jew and Gentile. And so now the gospel comes to all people in all places. So it's not specifically only to the Jewish people, which lends itself to finally the last interpretation, the one that we're uh, parking on, and that is that when you see that phrase, my brothers, Jesus is talking about all Christians, men and women. This is the best interpretation because the word brothers, specifically in the Gospel of Matthew, refers to the word disciples, meaning all who follow Christ. And the phrase, one of the least of these, refers to followers of Jesus also. Therefore, when it comes to this parable, Jesus is speaking of all Christians, And when you and I consider that, this parable becomes a little heavier, a little more concerning, because he's addressing the sheep and the goats, the righteous and the unrighteous, in the same context. So, now that we got that part out of the way, let's ask the next question. So, who are the sheep and who are the goats? Well... In ancient Israel, it was common for a shepherd to have both sheep and goats. If you've ever looked at sheep and goats, especially at a distance, they're very similar animals. But they're also very different. In ancient Israel, toward the end of the day, the shepherd would separate the sheep from the goats by keeping the sheep outside because they could withstand the colder weather due to their wool. As opposed to the goats, the goats would be taken elsewhere and warmth would be provided for them because they couldn't take the, the, the weather like the sheep could. The point here, in that little, little illustration, the point here is sheep and goats have a lot of similarities. They run in the same herd. They do some of the same things. But ultimately, they are different animals. And the shepherd knows the distinction, which is why the shepherd separates them. And so to the question, who are the sheep? The sheep, that is, the righteous, are those who fed, clothed, gave something to drink to Jesus. They are the ones that inherit the kingdom. Going back to our text The king will say, this is verse 34, the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. I was hungry and you gave me food, thirsty and you gave me drink, stranger and you welcomed me, naked and you clothed me, sick and you visited me in prison and you came to me. That's who the sheep are. It's going to be pretty simple right now. Well, who are the goats? The goats, that is, the unrighteous, are those who simply didn't do any of those things. Sounds kind of cut and dry. Verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. I was hungry, you didn't give me food. Thirsty, no drink. Stranger, you didn't welcome me. Naked, did not clothe me. Sick, did not visit me. 
it appears as though the biggest difference between the sheep and the goats is one did some stuff, the others didn't. With that being said, I want you to notice a few things. First, I want you to notice that these tasks, let's just call them that, are not extravagant tasks. They're not these like monumental things that the sheep did and the, and the goats didn't do. At the same time, these aren't like monstrous sins. Oftentimes in conversation when people are comparing themselves to others, especially as far as sin goes, you, might have, you may have heard this, you may have even said this, you'll, you'll hear something like, well, you know, yeah, I'm not perfect, but we're not, I'm not as bad as Hitler. Like, that's the epitome of, like, evil, right? And so when you consider this text, and when you consider what the goats didn't do, for example, it's not these Hitler-esque sins. These things aren't extravagant. They're not monstrous These are little, simple, everyday, ordinary things. That's the first thing I want you to notice. The second thing I want you to notice is what I I just mentioned. It just looks like one did something, the other one didn't. That seems to be the biggest difference. You might ask, well, how does that connect to us? How does that connect to you and I? This is how it connects. The sheep, the sheep and the goats sit in our church together. They're in our chairs. They sit in the same pews. They serve on some of the same teams, visit some of the same groups, lead some of the same ministries. They do good things throughout their lives together. So then how is it that Jesus could tell the difference? Both groups, and this is number three, are caught by surprise. So we've identified who the sheep and goats are. We're going to get a little bit more specific in a bit. Now we're going to see that both groups are caught by surprise. You see, when you consider the parable, it seems as if it is one that is graceless. In fact, this sounds like a works-based parable. If you do these things, you're good. You're in the kingdom. If you don't do these things, you're out. You're not in the kingdom. It doesn't seem fair. Many of us would argue, but I've done X, Y, and Z. How can I be out? How can I not inherit the kingdom? Let's look at the responses. All right? Let's look at the responses of both the sheep and the goats. Remember, they are similar there's a distinct difference, okay? Going back to verse 37, this is where Jesus says to the sheep, hey, you will inherit this kingdom. This is what you did. Verse 37, then the righteous, that is the sheep, will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? Okay. Now let's look at the goats' response. Verse 44. 
Then they will also answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Here's, here's one quick similarity. They're both surprised. Both of them are surprised. Both of them are caught off guard. It's almost like to the righteous or to the sheep, Jesus says, hey, you've done these things. And the sheep are like, oh, what? I did? To the goats, you say, hey, you didn't do these things. They'd be like, wait, let's back up a little bit. They're both surprised. Both have the same response. When did we X, Y, and Z? All right, here it is. Here's the distinct difference. The distinction is that only one of them was changed by grace. When you consider the sheep's response, they can't even remember when they did these things. That is, to them, serving the least of these Serving and caring for their brothers and sisters for one another was a natural overflow of grace in their lives. Their service toward one another for them was not a sacrifice. It would be as if we were to change the language a little bit and Jesus says, hey, you did these things. And the sheep are saying, Okay, thank you. Uh, when? When did I do that? And it would be as if Jesus is saying, do you remember that single mom in your church? And she fell on tough financial hardship. And one of your groups took an offering, took care of her, rent and a couple bills, even paid for new appliances. Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Do you remember during COVID when people were getting sick and still are sometimes? You really couldn't see one another and you were FaceTiming with them and you were praying for them and you checked on them every single morning to see if they needed anything? Do you remember you told them that you'd just be there if they needed anything or you were dropping stuff off whether they asked for it or not? Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Do you remember calling that widow and just checking in on her? Asking, how's your week going? How's your day going? How can I pray for you this week? Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Remember that family in your church uh, had their first baby or their second or third? And everybody rounded up and did a meal train and made sure that they had dinners every single night and sometimes even lunches so that they wouldn't have to worry about that? Remember when you did that? Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Do you remember when one of the people in your congregation lost a loved one and you checked in on them, you prayed for them, 
You watched clips of Parks and Rec with them over and over again just so that they wouldn't be alone. Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Do you remember when you got together at so-and-so's house and just constantly played games just to be around one another and to be around specific individuals to encourage them, to fold them into the life of what it is to be a Christian? Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Simple, everyday, ordinary things. The sheep are surprised because to them, serving one another was a natural overflow of grace. It wasn't a sacrifice. The goats are surprised and therefore they bring excuses. Let's look at their response one more time. Verse 44, then they will also answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, thirsty? When did we see you as a stranger, naked, or sick? When did we not minister to you? Here's what the goats are saying. Jesus, if we had known it was you, then we would have totally done stuff. If, if I had seen you walking, I would have for sure gotten you that coffee. If I knew you were there, I totally would have hooked you up with those meals. They can't imagine being judged. They're expecting to enter the kingdom question is on the basis of what, though? You see, the sheep understand that entering into the kingdom, being granted eternal presence with the Lord Jesus, was not a result of something they've done. Let's go to verse 34. Jesus says, the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world before you did anything good or anything terrible. This is for you. It's not based on what they've done. Rather, it is because of what Jesus has done for them. And as a result, not only have they received this grace, they have been transformed by that same grace. So much so that it flows naturally into their lives. And this immediately connects to the next observation. This is going to be number four concerning faith and works. Because once more, if you read it at face value, it seems like this parable is works-based. Are works important? Absolutely. Are we saved by works? No. Are we saved by grace alone, through faith alone? Yes. But we are not saved by a faith that is alone. For the sheep, works are a natural response to our faith. Works are simply the overflow of a regenerated heart, a heart that was at one point spiritually dead and through the power of the Holy Spirit brought to spiritual life. We see the Apostle James says it this way, so also by itself, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Works are a response to the faith we've been given. Works are evidence of the gift of faith. 
Likewise, Paul says it to the Ephesians, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Works are evidence of faith. I'm going to pause here for a moment. Some of you use your theology, or lack thereof, to justify not serving one another. Help me understand that. How do you reconcile Jesus' words to that? In the context of Sunday mornings, as an example, there's even a joke about it. It's the same 10% of people serving. I'm too busy. That's not my thing. They got it. They know. They know what to do. I'm just going to sit and consume. How do you reconcile that? On the other hand, Some of you have been attending church for years. You say all of the right things. You know the entire process. And what's funny is that's even the language that you use. I've read that. I've studied that. I remember growing up with that. I know what that is. But you don't know Jesus. Both sets of people are in need of repentance. So let me pause and invite you to repent of your sin. And let me warn you, arrogance and apathy are crouching at your door right now. So let me invite you to repent. In and through grace, trusting in Jesus. Fifth observation, judgment. This is verse 46. Jesus says, these will go away, speaking of the goats, into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. It's the final verdict. The righteous will receive eternal life. That is, the presence of Jesus for all eternity. This reward will be given to them on the merit of Christ alone. See, when the day of judgment comes and we're asked by the king about what we did or didn't do, who did we trust in, the righteous, the sheep, will not have a resume. They're going to have open hands saying, I just trusted in Jesus. I got nothing but him. Their hope is is only in Jesus. The unrighteous, however, will receive eternal punishment. You're like, oh man, I don't really like that phrase. Let's, let's dig it a little bit more. That is hell. And what is hell? It is separation from God. Not because hell is ruled by Satan and demons. That's dumb. 
they're in there as well. When you consider verse 41, depart from me, and another portion of Matthew where he tells those who, who are surprised by the same verdict, he says, depart from me, I never knew you. That word knew means that he never had a relationship with them. He goes on to say, depart from me, back to verse 41, you cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and the angels. Hey, this was actually prepared for angels, uh, or excuse me, for demons and Satan. There's a separation from God. There's no purgatory. There's no second chance. In the suffering of hell, it is far, far worse because in hell, there will be the absence of God's grace. Many people believe that to get to heaven, to receive eternal life, one simply must die. Do your best, and salvation by death is how we make it as we walk to the pearly gates. But whoever believes that has not read the words of Jesus in the parable of the sheep and the goats. In this parable, I want you to consider the sheep once more. Remember, the sheep, they were surprised and unaware at what they had done. You see, for the sheep, it's not that they see Jesus in others. It's that they see themselves. I'll say that one more time. For the sheep, it's not that they see Jesus in others. It's that they see themselves in others. The sheep understand that we were at one point hungry and Jesus fed us with his blood, or excuse me, his body. At one point we were thirsty and Jesus poured out the wine that is his blood. At one point we were naked and Jesus clothed us with the robe of his righteousness. At one point we were sick and Jesus, through his life, death, and resurrection, healed us. At one point, we were imprisoned, enslaved, and captives of sin, and Jesus freed us from our bondage and broke our chains. Jesus did all of these things not because we had something to offer or because we could pay him back, but simply, simply because of his grace, mercy, and kindness. In this parable, Jesus is teaching us that when we receive God's grace, we are changed. We are rewired as a result of the Spirit dwelling in us. The motivations of our heart is reworked because we have been saved and filled with His grace. And that love overflows towards Him and towards others in everyday, ordinary, simple ways. Those who have been saved by grace do good towards others, not because they're better or to put God in their pocket, but because kindness, justice, acts of love are simply the overflow of their lives. If you read this parable and plainly observed that the biggest difference between the sheep and the goats was what they did 
and did not do, you would be right. However, the question is, what made them do it? And the answer is, the grace and mercy of the king. So as we wrap up, Christian, let me ask you, are you a sheep or are you a goat? Is your faith real? Jesus will return one day. Where will you stand? The difference is simply the grace of our Lord. So let me invite you to turn from your sin and turn toward the Lord Jesus with and in grace. Cast your burden onto him because he cares about you. And if you don't know Jesus, thank you for being here, especially in a text like this. Thank you. Apart from the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, you do not have eternal life. Yet, Jesus stands ready and willing to pardon all sinners who turn to him in repentance. And what do you get? A new heart, a new life. You receive redemption. Could it be through a sermon about judgment or a text about judgment, could it be that it is the grace of God that beckons you to him? Turn from your sin and trust in the Lord Jesus. Church, the people of God not only receive God's grace, they're transformed by God's grace. And their life, though they are unaware, is evidence of that grace. Let's pray. Father, as, as mentioned earlier, this was a challenging text. It was a challenging text precisely because you poke and prod the condition of our heart. And that makes us uncomfortable. It makes us uncomfortable enough to where we draw near to you by grace, or sadly, we try to ignore you and reject your grace. Lord, if we're honest, we often think it can't be that simple. But the truth is, it is. Your grace is for the weak, the struggling, and the hurting. God, as we have walked through many of these parables, we have confessed and we continue to that our hearts have a propensity to wander. So, Spirit, would you draw us near to you? Would you remind us of who you say we are? 
Would you lavish us with the comfort of your grace? This morning we confess our our anger, our arrogance, and our apathy. Lord, help us. Help us, Lord. Help us because we are often lukewarm. We often lack belief and it weakens our confidence in you. Our sin makes us forget you. Therefore, Holy Spirit, would you grant us the grace to abide in Jesus today? Father, you are good because you are gracious. You are gracious because you are good. May we draw near to you today and as we enter a new week. May the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be acceptable in your sight.